the book of Numbers. There's lots of counting involved. Lots of uh, some genealogies, some rituals, more laws, really boring stuff that's not going to save your marriage. So we'll get into some cool stories instead. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. And yeah, so I shouldn't have said it that way, huh? All right, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to read out of uh, Numbers chapter 24, and then I'm going to tell stories. Verse 5, how beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloe plants by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Waters will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than that of Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. They, they have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and they break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse them? May those who bless you be blessed and those who cursed you be cursed. And that is a blessing that was spoken over Israel. And we can claim that too. But how beautiful are the tents of Jacob. All right. Uh, Numbers is a, it's an amazing book, and it's a lot better than my favorite book, which was Leviticus. How did I do? Was it interesting? Yeah, all right. Yeah. Leviticus completely messes up the whole narrative story because it just gets into all these laws and rituals, and there's only one really cool, st- I like stories. There's only one really cool story, and that's when God kills Aaron's sons. So read it. It's an amazing book. Um, but it breaks up the whole story from Genesis to Exodus and messes up the whole narrative. Now, Numbers is a little bit better, but again, there's lots of counting and more counting, and it just doesn't, how are you going to apply counting to your life? You can't. I mean, unless you're into numerology, and I don't, I don't suggest you get into numerology because then every, you know, every time you take 10 steps, he thinks it's going to be something significant when it's not. Um, so... But it does. What's amazing about numbers is even though we have all these little details that are important to God and numbers are important to God and you're a number and you're important to God. So even though the details are important, we get some amazing stories that we can weave into the narrative of God's big master plan. Now, the book in reality should not be called numbers. It should be called first gripings. And uh, you know, Job shouldn't be called Job, it should be called second gripings, because this is the main theme of the whole story. There's really nothing else going on except for a lot of whining and complaining and grumbling and griping, and it's driving God nuts. First service, we talked about how it was not only driving God nuts, it was driving Moses' nuts. It was driving Moses crazy. <laughs> so It was driving Moses crazy. Could have been worse. Driving him nut, driving him crazy. Yeah. Um, and Moses was a stud. He probably survived three pharaohs. No other person in history has, could survive three pharaohs, let alone one. So one when he was born floating down the river when his mom saved him. 
and Miriam saved him when he was a very infant, so he survived that, that Pharaoh that was killing all the young boys. He survived the Pharaoh uh, when he was a, a younger man. He, he killed a, an Egyptian and fled. Pharaoh was out to kill him for doing that. He was actually out to kill him because he found out that he was a Jew and not an Egyptian. That was probably the real motivation for Pharaoh wanting to kill him. And then, of course, he survives the Pharaoh of the Exodus. He challenges him in his court. He faces off all of the mighty magicians of the age, the most powerful men. And I do believe that Pharaoh's magicians, they actually were functioning in supernatural power. Like they can do signs and wonders too. Ever think about that? And he was able to overcome them, even though that he had this insecurity of this speech impediment. He overcame that. If you read the text, you see him, he doesn't need Aaron speaking for him anymore. He can speak for himself now. And then he splits the Red Sea. And he, he's the most powerful leader that the world has ever seen, leading a million people out into the promised land, or into the desert at first. He even survives God, because God wanted to kill him too. So the guy is a stud. But when these people start complaining, when this, oh, Moses, we're hot. Oh, Moses, we're thirsty. Oh, Moses, we're hungry. Moses, there's sand in my underwear. They complain about everything. And he's had it. And he calls out to God. God, I can't take it anymore. Kill me now. I mean, seriously, this is what he says. Like, he wants to die. The, 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 the bravest man that the world has ever seen that can actually go into God's presence and not die, what, the, what's driving him to want to kill himself is these annoying people. Isn't that interesting? The power of the grape. The power of the wine. And there is no cheese with that wine. He can't take it anymore. And so he wants to die. Uh, God says, oh, I know how you feel. He says, don't give up yet. Let's just delegate some of your power. That actually didn't go too well. And then we have, we're going to skip over to um, the, great, the great rebellions. Moses is, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't have God do him in. He sticks it out. He does love these people, even though they're driving him nuts. Even his own brother and sister stab him in the back. And their response, Aaron and Miriam, their response was, don't we hear from God too? You got all these laws, Moses, and we hear from God too. You know, you got, you got them written, God wrote them down for you on, the ten, on this tablet, these Ten Commandments, and then you get all these other laws that is downloaded into your mind, and you write all these things down, and uh, I, we just want to know why you have a Cushite wife. She wasn't a Cushite, she was a Midianite. It was uh, some really nasty behavior on, uh, on a brother and sister. They did not like the fact that uh, Moses had a wife outside of Israel. And Moses wrote the rules. You can't marry somebody outside of, out of the Israelite nation. So he's, he's breaking his own rules. And uh, 
older brother and older sister are making sure that he knows about that fact that he's broken the rules. And they said, you know what? We listen to God too. Who has appointed you leader over us? And then Miriam gets smited with um, leprosy. I don't know why Aaron doesn't get smited. I want to know what Aaron's secret is because he gets off the hook all the time. I want to figure out how he does that. But he does. He doesn't... Uh, you know, he, he begs and pleads. He calls Moses his Lord. And Moses does what Jesus does. Moses says, please heal her. Heal, this, heal my sister that just stabbed me in the back. Isn't that amazing? Can you see the character and the humility of this man? The very, the very chapter says that Moses was the most humble man that the world has ever seen. Yeah, Charlton Heston. I mean... He is Charlton. I mean, when I think about Moses, he's Charlton Heston to me. He's got to be, man. And he's humble. Wow. But there is more grumbling. There is more griping. And it comes to a head when, when Moses sends out his 12 tribes into the promised land. The, man, the, the land flowing with what? With milk and honey. And I, why milk and honey? You ever think about this? I've I, 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 I been thinking about it for a long time, and I just read something this week that milk and honey are the only two uh, food sources. Well, I'm sure there might be more, but you don't have to kill it to eat it. If you want a salad, you have to kill a plant to eat that salad. If you want, if you want bacon, you have to kill a pig to get bacon. But milk and honey, you don't have to kill anything to get those. And they're re, they're, it's, just, it's, a, it's a renewable source, and it's going to be a renewable land. And so he sends these 12 spies into the land, and sure enough, they say, it, you are right. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, and we get this big giant thing of grapes and figs and pomegranates. This place is awesome with the exception of the Nephilim, which is a mythical monster. There are these giants, these, you know, the warriors of old, the descendants of the men, uh, the sons of God and the children of men. And so we're like, we can't overcome those guys. Those guys are huge. And on top of that, the, the city walls are fortified. They're, it's impossible. We can't do it. And this is what the Israelites say. They said, when we were in Egypt, we ate fish, and we had cucumbers, and we have melons, and now all we get is this bread from heaven and this icky manna, and we're tired of it. And we would, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt because if we go back to Egypt, at least we would have those things instead of this tasty manna. So why did you lead us out into the desert to die? And now what you are saying is, uh, we are going to take you into this promised land to be killed by the sword. And this is a big deal, folks, because what kind of relationship do we have with God right now? Do you know? We have a covenant relationship with God right now. It's a contract. It's an if-then type of contract. If you behave yourself and if you obey the rules, then I will bless you with a good land. If you, you, know, if you read your Bible and say a prayer, then you're going to have good health. 
So it's an if-then type of contract. In addition to that, there's all kinds of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, or you're, you know, bad things will happen to you. So what was part of the contract? I will, if you follow me, I will lead you out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of this desert, into a promised land. And what do they say? They said, we don't want to go where you are leading us. And we are making all kinds of excuses as to why we don't want to go, as to why we want to return back to slavery. Because we like cucumbers and Nile fish. I'm sure they don't taste good. They want to go back. They want this security of slavery. They want the security of prison food. And this breaks God's contract. This is where the contract gets broken. They broke the contract because they said, uh, we don't want your present. You ever bought a present for your kid and they don't like it and they play with the box instead? Yeah, like that $400 present that you got them and they're crawling inside the box. It's like, I should have just got you a cardboard box. You got more mileage out of that. They reject God's present. They reject God's plan because in their mind, in their sight, when you read this later, because this is part, we'll talk more about this uh, first service because I got to skip ahead to some deeper stuff. But in their mind's eyes, they were grasshoppers. And because of the way that they viewed themselves in their own sight, their enemies saw them as they saw themselves. So this is the question that I have for you. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself confident in the Lord? Do you see yourself strong? Do you see yourself as more than a conqueror? Hmm? Or do you see yourself as broken, as weak, as feeble, as not being uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit? However you view yourself, that is how the world will view you too. So how do you view yourself? Are you a success or are you a failure when you leave this building? Are you a success or are you a failure after this day? You get to choose. I'm not saying you're not going to have failures, but you get to choose how you view yourself. And how you view yourself is how the world will view you and has how the enemy will view you. And it's only Joshua and Caleb that say, we can surely take this land. There is nothing that we cannot do. We can do all things. Well, they don't have Jesus back then. But we can do all things through Jesus who gives us strength. We can, we can, take, we can, we can scale those towers and we can kill giants. Who kills a giant? David. And he actually killed more than one giant. And David, or Goliath, is the descendants of Anak of these guys that they're so afraid of, the Nephilim. Ooh. I don't think, well, I'll leave it alone because I don't have time. All right. So it gets worse. So we have his own brother and sister stabbing him in the back. We have an entire group that does not want to, they refuse to move into the promised land. And then to make matters worse, they say, we should get a leader. We should... We, we should be a democracy. We need, a, we need to elect a better leader because we hear from God too. So he, Moses gets some more knives in the back. And guess who he gets them from? He gets them from the 70 elders that he appointed, that he 
delegated, that he distributed his power to. Joshua said, that's not a good idea, Moses. But Moses is like, I can't take it anymore. I want to kill myself because they're driving me nuts. So he had no choice. He had to delegate power. And out of the tribe of Levite, who's a Levite? You guys remember? It's the people that tend the tabernacle. It's, it's, the, it's not necessarily the priestly clan, because Aaron is the priestly clan, or the priestly family, so only Aaron and his sons could be the priests. But the Levites are the ones that tended the tabernacle. They were, they were the elders. They were the deacons. They were the people that made sure everything was running properly, and they didn't get to own land. Their main, they never were allowed to own a piece of property. They had to make sure that the temple was running smoothly, that all the animals got slaughtered in the right way, all that kind of stuff. They're the ones that stood with Moses during the calf incident. Remember the golden calf incident? They're the ones that said, all right, Moses, we'll stand on your side. And they did. But now they're stabbing him in the back, and they're led by Korah because they're saying, you know what, we can hear from God too, and in fact, we need to, we need to elect another leader. We need to elect somebody that can actually lead us back to Egypt because we want to go back to Egypt because you don't know what the will of the people is, Moses. We want Korah to lead us back. And Moses does something that, I don't know, I think it's unique. He says, okay, we will... We'll, this is probably what we should all do, right? Well, let's let God decide. And in God's presence, there's Korah, there are the Levites, there's 250 Levites that said, you know what, we got our swords sharpened. It's coup d'etat time. They meant business, folks. They meant business. And out of this rebellion... They call out to God. God shows up at the tabernacle. His cloud descends on the tabernacle. He's there. And they'll say, this is so awesome. The earth opens up. And in falls Korah and his entire family. And then it closes in behind him with the screams of his family. <laughs> so cool. And the 250 guys with their swords sharpened, they spontaneously combust into flames. I guess who's the leader now, right? God is saying, look, I choose Moses. Uh, Aaron and Miriam, I know you think you have some legitimate gripes, but Moses is not just a prophet who's able to read riddles and see dreams, I actually communicate with this guy as one does to a friend, and he sees my form. There's no one else on the planet that has ever been able to see God's form or to speak to God in a personal relationship. Moses is the man. He's the, he is just incredible. And they think that they can choose him off, and God has other plans. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could elect our leaders this way? Just, just have God elect our leaders? It would solve a lot of problems. You know, Hillary and Trump, they all descend into hell. And there's weeping of gnashing of teeth, and we can start all over again. Or maybe let God elect somebody to lead us. That would solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? 
That's the way to do it. Uh, it. Leviticus is a very difficult book. Numbers is a very difficult book, too. God kills. God personally kills up to 20,000 people in this book. Our good and loving God kills that many people. I don't think preachers really preach this that much, do they? Have you ever heard that preached? It doesn't preach well. We can, I can maybe later tell you why I think that happened, but God takes sin seriously. Um, what do you think the takeaway is for this sermon today? What, what is the, uh, the practical application for you? If you gripe, God's going to kill you. <laughs> if you whine, and if you're whining and griping, God's going to kill you. He'll either open up the earth and swallow you, and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, or maybe you'll just blow up. Maybe your skin will melt off, like in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was, that's, what, that's what's going on. Thank God for Jesus, right? See, Moses was able, he, Moses had a revelation of Jesus, even though that he didn't think that he did. That's why he was able to talk to God face to face, as one does to a friend. That's why when his sister got leprosy, he said, God, please heal her. That's why when the, when the Israelites were complaining and God wants to kill him, he says, don't kill him now. Don't you remember your, your promise? And God's like, look, we can just start all over with you. And Moses says, no, let's not start over with me. Let's give these guys a second chance. He intercedes. He's always acting like Jesus. Now, then there's the incident of the rock. Oh, Moses, we're so thirsty. And this is, I, I, I have a hard time with this one. I didn't tell you. This one, this one I struggle with. I mean, all the amazing things that Moses does. He loses his temper. They're begging for water. They, wanna, they want to stone Aaron and Moses. They've forgotten about all the amazing miracles that Moses and Aaron have done. And they're going to kill him. The people are going to kill Moses and Aaron. And so finally, you know, Moses is like, all right, let's just do another miracle. God says, speak to the rock, and then water is going to pour out of the rock. And Aaron so, or Moses is so frustrated, instead of speaking to the rock, he's disobedient towards God, and he strikes the rock twice. And that's what, God's not okay with that. There's got to be more going on. Moses is not allowed to go into the promised land after this, and neither is Aaron, because he was disobedient on this one thing, striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Like, there's a lot going on in, in, in this story that we just don't know. I want to know why. Well, I mean, I thought I had issues with God, but what's going on? What's the issue with all these calves and colts? And there's a, there's a why, why did Korah think that he could get away with it? And Moses doesn't get to go in. And Aaron doesn't get to go in. One of the most touching, not touching, but emotional scenes in this story is God says to Aaron, it's time, Aaron. You're going to ascend to Mount Hor with Moses, your, your younger brother. 
and Eliezer, your son. And they go and they climb up into this, up on top of the Mount Hor. And Aaron takes his clothes off, or Moses takes his clothes off, and he dresses Eleazar. And he says, now you're going to sleep with your ancestors. And then Moses and Eleazar come down off the mountain. Same thing happens with Moses. He, he goes up on top of the mountain. He's able to see the promised land, but he's never able to go in because of that one incident. It's tough. I don't understand. It's, a, it's really, it's a tough one. But again, that's between Moses and God, and I don't know why. But the thing that we got to get into our heads is that whining and griping slows us down, if not dismantles relationships, that it also keeps us and can keep us from moving into God's presence. When Miriam was smited with leprosy, they were supposed to take, pack up and go. But they, they couldn't move. It, it, it slowed them down because she had to wait seven days for her leprosy to go away. So whining and griping and complaining will slow you down. And it will also keep you from moving into God's promise. You can't be blessed unless you're moving into God's promise. Regardless of all this stuff that's going on, God is intent on blessing his people. And we, all right, again, heavy book, right? 20,000 people, God kills. I mean, this is tough stuff. There's a lot of really boring laws in here. This, it's, it's a heavy book. And then we get into some comedic relief. We get into, I have, a, I have, I have never, this is what's amazing about this 66 series thing that we're doing. It's because I have never preached Balaam on a Sunday morning. I've done it like 20 years ago when I was teaching Sunday school, but I've never teached Balaam. And it is comic relief. When you read it, you're like, well, that's, not, that's not very funny. No, it's funny, folks. Like, talking donkeys is funny. <laughs> and so Balaam is a, he is a prophet. And he actually has some kind of understanding of God because he's a, he's a prophet of God. Yet he's from Mesopotamia, but he's not an Israelite. Not quite sure what ethnicity he was, but he came from Iraq. They, uh, uh, Moab, the king of Moab, hired him to come down. And he says, I want you to curse Israel because they're going to come in. There's a million of these guys, and they're going to come into my, my country, and they're going to loot us. And we've seen them do it before. Israel's going to come in, and they're going to loot us. So I'm going to hire this prophet to come down. I want you to curse them. And Balaam says, all right, well, oh. I'll, I'll try. I'm a prophet, so I only speak what, I, what the Lord tells me. Do you, guys, you realize that, King Moab? And, Mo, and the king of Moab says, look, how much money do you want? Whatever it takes, you're going to curse these guys. All right? So he comes down, and this is why it's funny, because he's up on top of this mountain, and he's going to curse Israel. He's going to curse all of these, the tents of Jacob. And he gets up there, and he's like, trying to curse, trying to say bad words, trying to hex them and jinx them, and then out comes blessings. Remember that uh, scripture that I read this morning? That came out of Balaam's mouth. Not Moses, not Aaron. It came out of the enemy of God's mouth. That beautiful, poetic blessing came out of the enemy of God's mouth. We have to get this. Look, you guys can... 
We can complain about our situation, our relationships, our circumstances, the government. We can whine about all this stuff, but you gotta understand that God is out to bless you. He wants to see the best in you. And he, in the enemy of God, cannot curse you. You need to get this. If you are a child of God, if you stepped across the line of faith, if you have a personal relationship with the man Jesus, it is impossible for the enemy to curse you spiritually. He can't do it. Like when the enemy, when this thing about the devil himself, he's trying to, to, to curse you. When he opens up his mouth, Satan himself will bless you because you are a child of God. This is where the comedy comes in. This is why it's so funny. You remember what was that? The Liar Liar. Remember that show, Liar Liar? With Jim Carrey and everything. He's trying to lie and everything comes out. It's, he has to tell the truth. That's what's going on with Balaam. That's why it's so funny. Not just talking donkeys, but funny words coming out of this guy's mouth. And the king of Moab is losing his mind. He's like doing the curly. He's slapping his face. So I'm paying you lots of money and you're, not, you're blessing them and not cursing them. The only way that the curses of the enemy can take any seed in us is when we go into agreement with them and is when we believe the lie. But they have no power on us, ever. So they're frustrated. King Moab's frustrated. Balaam actually wants some money. Kind of when you read the text, like, is Balaam a good guy or is he a bad guy? He just did this incredible blessing. And he says he's a prophet of God. It kind of seems like he is. But he's a bad guy. He beats his donkey. I'm serious. He's a bad guy because he beat his donkey. And the donkey's the one that saw the angel of the Lord. And it's the donkey that says, why are you unjustly beating me? Talking donkeys, that's fun stuff. He's a bad guy. He's in it for the money. He's able to tap into something spiritually. He's able to tap into the supernatural where he can actually channel God's voice in his words. But he is not... He is a man that lacks character. You can be a prophet and you can lack character. You can speak in tongues and lack character. You can heal the sick and lack character. And that's, maybe there's no difference between somebody that can, a faith healer and Balaam. What are they in it for? The money. How do we know this? Because Balaam says, all right, we cannot defeat the Israelites spiritually. Cursing them is not going to work. But I do know what will work. What will work is that if we move them from, if we move our strategy from the spiritual, because I can't beat them spiritually, King of Moab. Do you realize that? Because the Spirit of God has blessed them. I can't overcome their blessings. But what I can do is I can move it from the, the we can move it from the spiritual realm into the natural realm. And so instead of me trying to curse and vex them, what we can do is that we can tempt them. So the strategy shifts from one of being spiritual warfare to one to being carnal warfare. And they ship in hookers and prostitutes from Moab and Midian. And then the, the children of God, the men of God, they go into intimate relationships with prostitutes, with these women. And then they align themselves to that cultic worship. 
and they, it says that they, they went whoring. After they, after, they, after they hooked up, they went whoring after the gods of Balaam, a Baal. Baal is the Canaanite god. Uh, I'll be honest, we're, they're not quite sure who, if this is a Baal god or not. I think that it is. We'll just say that it is because it's the Baal of Peor. It is, the, it is the god of this mountain called Peor. And they, they went whoring after the god of Peor. And, he got, and, and Baal's a bad dude. He's a bad guy. Remember uh, Moloch? Moloch's, Moloch's a really bad god. He's the one that you sacrifice children to. Well, Baal was bad too. Baal it basically is Zeus. And guess what Baal's animal is? Want to take a guess? Uh, cows. Bulls, and we see them being attracted back into this worship, this fertility worship of the cow, calf, or bull. Uh, Baal would come down out of the clouds riding on the back of his, of his bull, and he would throw down lightning bolts. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like Zeus. And they went whoring after this god. And it's like, well, what's the, what's the big deal? Oh my gosh. Like, this cult was so disgusting. Like, I can't even talk about it. It was so nasty, disgusting. Like, there was, there's, there's some historical record of it uh, outside of the Bible. And it was so disgusting that even the pagans wouldn't worship the Baal of Peor. It was, that's how gross it was. Like, even sinful people, like, that's too much for us. Like, that's just at a different level of perversity. We can't do it. And so God is just like, oh, my gosh. What have they done? What have they done? Remember I said, um, uh, Miriam and Aaron were challenging Moses because of, the choice of who he married. She married a Midian, but they called her a Cush. They're calling her a bad word, basically. Derogatory term. And in the end, one last challenge to Moses. Zimri, one of the Levites, marches in his Midianite girlfriend in Moses' presence, haughty, saying, I've been completely justified because you have a Midianite girl. I'm going to get myself a Midianite girl. And <laughs> this is like really haughty. In front of Moses, in front of the entire Israelite community, marches them in. And the way that it reads, I don't know, it's just, I should keep this, I'll keep it PG. But it, there was inappropriate stuff going on in the tent. Phineas, Aaron's grandson, didn't stand, wouldn't put up with it. Moses was like, oh, really, you're going to do, do that right in front of me? You're just going to blatantly sin right in front of me? You're going to align yourself to this God, this Baal of Peor? And you know that like, I really can't do anything about it because I'm married to a Midian, although that my woman fought for me. My woman saved my life. 
It's nothing to do with you and your, your prostitute. And Phineas, Aaron's son, kills them both in their tent. And because of that, Phineas gets blessed. And because of that stance, I know it's, it's, it's bloody, folks. I know it doesn't seem fair, but because of that stance, it saved Israel. It saved them from even going further into the brink of depravity and disgustingness. And if he hadn't, then the younger generation that does go into promised land, that does, that does follow Joshua into promised land, because they hadn't stand, stood up for justice and, and doing the right thing and being holy, saying, God has designed you. It is his will that Israel is a holy nation, a, a, a nation of priests. If Phinehas hadn't have done that, who knows if they would have even made it into the promised land. Because one young man stood up for the right thing. Years later, like they go in, they take the land. Now they take parts of it. They take most of it. But God's will is done, and he's actually, it's actually done in, in, the, in the kingdom. But years later, I don't know when we'll get to this in 1 Kings, when King Solomon, David's son, when he establishes and builds based off of the tabernacle, when he builds the temple of God, where, where God's presence shows up like he did when he did in the temple, it is that this Shekinah glory in the temple of God. Guess who else went whoring after other religions? Solomon does. Solomon did the same exact thing. He went whoring after the other gods because he let that stuff in. He uncovered his house to sin. The wisest man that the world has ever seen, by the way, right? The wisest man the world has ever seen fell into the same temptations that the Israelites fell into. And you might not know this name, but you're going to know it if you keep on coming here. Jeroboam. The sin of Jeroboam, the rebellion of Jeroboam after, after Solomon is the same heresy as the heresy of that of Baal of Peor. Because Jeroboam says, you know what? Um, Solomon, you messed up. And I can hear from God too. And I am going to set up not just one temple, but two temples, one in Bethel and one in Shechem. And guess what? My, our worship is going to be cooler than your worship because guess what I'm going to bring back? Bulls. And the Israelites, once again, prostituted themselves to fertility gods, the bull. And instead of there being a menorah in the temple, there was a statue, a golden statue of a calf, just like the one that Aaron created. What does that mean for us? That means if we continue, if we continue with the way that we think and the way that we process, if we continue to act like Israelites and we complain and we whine and we grumble and we gripe about every little thing that comes our way, we cannot move into the promised land as a priest of God or a priestess of God. We will pervert it. We will distort it. Your marriage, if all you're doing is complaining and whining and griping about your spouse, if that is your language, your marriage will be perverted. 
No rubbing elbows. Like if you're, if you're jabbing your elbow under your spouse right now, uh, guess where the problem's at? <laughs> this isn't about your spouse. This is about you. If all you're doing is whining and plaining and griping about your kids instead of speaking life into your kids, if all you're doing is cursing your kids instead of blessing your kids, you're the problem. If all you're doing is whining and griping and complaining about your work situation, and if you, know, you just can't wait to get around the cooler to gossip, guess where the problem is? Will you ever be blessed in your job if all you're doing is whining and griping and complaining? Will you ever be moved into the promised land through a promotion? No, it's not going to happen. Because you're saying to yourself, I choose not to go in. I, I would rather be in Egypt by the water cooler. It's easier here for me to complain than it is for me to try to go for promotion. Because in promotion, there's Nephilim, there's giants. That is why in this political season, it's so important that we guard our hearts. The enemy of God would love to breed curses into the body of Christ. That is why... I would really like to see the earth open up during the next debate and consume all of the candidates. That would be, I'd pay to go see that. You have to protect your hearts. Don't let, this is a safe place. Don't bring whining and gossip and cynicism and sarcastic behavior into this place. Look, I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. You don't have to be a yes person. You need to stand up for what's true. But at the same time, don't argue about stuff that's, that's silly. Politics, like I like to watch the news. I'm, I mean, I'm politically minded. I just I am. I'm not on a vote. But God is the one that's in control. Even though that we think that we're in control because we're in a republic democracy, we think that we have control because we can vote. God's the one that's in control. And sometimes we deserve who we elect. Sometimes that is God's judgment on us. God help us. God help us. But what you can't do is you can't, in this safe place, you can't fight, you can't argue, you can't get politically nasty. If you do, I'll kick you out. I'm just, I'm not gonna kick you out. But you see what I'm saying, folks? Don't you wanna come here and, and, and feel the joy of the Lord? Because the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength in this difficult season that we're coming up against. It is God's goodness that has saved us. It is his son, Jesus, that is sparing us from his wrath. And you might think, why? Wow, God killed a lot of people. God. They are, look, God has dealt with them. They are resting with, with their ancestors. They are resting with their forefathers and their fathers. They, uh, I don't, uh, again, I don't know how, are they in heaven? I'm not sure. Um, there's no mention of heaven or hell so far. Interesting, isn't it? And so far, we only have one Satan, and that's in the form of a snake. So I'm not sure how it all plays out. But what I do know if God would have allowed these evil, wicked people to continue, the planet would be a horrible place. 
You just, okay, why would God kill some people? You just think about this. Think about ISIS. You just think about how evil ISIS is. And I don't know if this is your prayer, but it is my prayer. My prayer is like, God, why, have not, why haven't you killed them? Right? You see, that's, that's what I'm getting at. God could not allow that much evil to take place and to take root into his creation. We live under a new law. We live under a new covenant that is not if then, but is 100% grace-based. And we get the opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a relationship of the Holy Spirit, to speak to God through Jesus as one would speak to a friend. We get to move into friendship with God. We, he is our brother and he is our Lord. We don't have to suffer the wrath of God because Jesus has done it for us on the cross. All of the sins that you could possibly imagine, think of that you could possibly do, and all of these horrible, disgusting things that the world has done, they all got laid onto Jesus. A, a, a weight that was, that he could barely bear himself, but he did it because he loves us. He died for us for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could live life and live it to the full. We are in a new covenant, a new relationship with Jesus. And he's not only is he out to save you, he's out to move you into promised land that you have to choose. Can I have the band come up to the front? How you doing? Doing good? What's the moral of the story? What's the take home? Don't gripe or God's going to kill you. <laughs> All right, I got the ushers come to the front. It's a good day to be a Christian. It's a great day to be a Christian. It's a great day to step across that line of faith. Most of you, I know you, and you love God, and it makes my heart glad that you love God, and I just think that you need more of him. And you're going to get the breakthrough. If you, if you apply this message, you're going to get that breakthrough that you've been praying for. Uh, this is bow your heads, close your eyes. If you have not stepped across that line of faith, if you want that personal, personal relationship with Jesus, the one that gets you out of living under a heavy law and out of wrath and out of judgment, the one that says, I'm going to adopt you as my brother into my family and I'm going to introduce you to my good daddy. If you want that type of relationship, just raise your hand. I'd like to disagree with you. Anybody need to lower? Thank, I see you. I see you. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, that's a good day. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that our offering is pleasing to you. We thank you so much that our lives, the ones that have been spent on ministering to you and working our hardest to provide for our families, God, we thank you so much that we have moms here in this church that have contended and have fought the good fight that will do anything that they have to do for the betterment of their children, for the success of their children, even if that means that they put them in a basket and ship them down a river. God, we know that we, you have fought for us, that you fight for us every day, and we just desperately need more of you, God. So forgive us. God, forgive not our hearts and our minds for going into agreement with the lies of the enemy and believing what he says and grumbling and griping. And God, forgive us for prostituting ourselves after other gods, after idols in this world that mean nothing compared to your love. Give us hope, God. Give us victory. In your name, Lord Jesus.